Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Hey, hello everyone. My name is Amitabh. If you are new at Portico, at the end of the service, on the right-hand side of our main door is our Welcome Cafe. If you could join me, that would be awesome. That'll give me an opportunity to have some coffee while you are there. I'll, I'll talk to you also, but, but, but if you're new, just join me at the Welcome Cafe. That would be wonderful. We are in a sermon series which is titled, Dare to be Different, Living Your Life with Purpose. And our sermon today is titled, Be Wary of Fairweather Friends. Our text today is taken from Nehemiah chapter 5, verse number 1 to 5. And as you are finding that in your Bible or you're finding that on your smart device, just a few com- comments about the book of Nehemiah. For a simple, most simple understanding of the book of Nehemiah, you can divide it into two parts. Nehemiah chapter 1, right up to Nehemiah chapter 7, it talks about the rebuilding of the Jerusalem wall. Nehemiah chapter 8 to Nehemiah chapter 13 is about the restoration of the people. The book of Nehemiah starts with Nehemiah living in a a town called Susa. It's, It's the capital of the Median Persian Empire. It's like Ottawa in Canada or Washington DC in USA. In modern Iran, Susa is located there. And the book of Nehemiah chapter number 1, verse number 1 starts with Nehemiah's brother Hanani talking about the broken down condition of the Jerusalem wall of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah is greatly moved. He wants to do something about it. What he does is he intercedes with God. If you have a problem, a good question to ask is, how long should I pray? How long should I pray? Nehemiah chapter 1, verse number 1, it's the month of Kislev, which is December, the winter month. And Nehemiah chapter 2, verse number 1, is the month of Nisan, which is the month of April. Nehemiah prays for four months, and he prays day and night, right from December to April. And after seeking God for four months, he walks up to the king and asks him permission to rebuild the the wall. The king grants Nehemiah the permission. And Nehemiah puts it into the right perspective in Nehemiah chapter 2 verse number 8. And he says, and because the gracious hand of God is on me, the king granted my request doesn't take any credit for it says because the gracious hand of God is on me the king granted my request now here are a few things to remember right at the start of the sermon number one we pray number two we seek the gracious hand of God number three we dare to be different by not settling for average stuff we try to do things which is daring We realize that we will face opposition. Not we might, we will. But because the gracious hand of God is upon us, every day we get up and we do our best in spite of the opposition. To say it another way, it does not matter whether we fail or succeed, we do our best because we are living a life with purpose. 
Now a quick, a quick glance at the Old Testament history. There was King Saul, he started well, but then he did not finish it too well. Then came King David and his is a 40 years reign. And during that time the protective wall is built up. Then came King Solomon, he started well and then he compromised. King Solomon dies, Israel is divided into two kingdoms. The northern tribe, the Assyrians raided the northern tribe. The southern tribe, the Babylonians raided and they were taken away. 536 BC, first wave of Jews returned to Jerusalem. 458 BC, second wave of Jews returned under Ezra a priest and the temple is rebuilt but the wall is still broken down that's when Nehemiah comes in Nehemiah is a contemporary of Ezra 140 years after exile Nehemiah is trying to build the wall so that's the historical background in which we are introduced to Nehemiah Nehemiah is a Jew Nehemiah is a Jew who's a cupbearer to the Persian king his role is to taste the king's wine to prevent him from being poisoned. And so Nehemiah has been put in a position of trust. Nehemiah arrives at a time in history when there is tremendous sense of insecurity amongst the foreign land. Persia has dominated Israel and many other nations. These are the days when bloodshed at the highest office is the norm. The kings getting killed by their children is the in thing. It is in this context, as we are introduced to Nehemiah, we need to ask one fundamental question. Why is a Persian king or a Persian monarch trusting a Jewish cupbearer? Now, I grew up in India. And if you have been following the recent news, India and Pakistan have been on the brink of war. Let me show you a picture here of me with Imran Khan. Imran Khan is the present Prime Minister of Pakistan. A Persian monarch trusting a Jewish cupbearer will be equivalent to Imran Khan, the Pakistani Prime Minister, having Amitabh as his cupbearer. This is a so-called enemy. Why should Imran Khan, the king, be trusting Amitabh to be his cupbearer? But isn't this true? If you have integrity, it is such a thing that even your enemies will recognize you for it. Nehemiah dares to be different and even his enemies can trust him with it. So right at the start, we are introduced to Nehemiah and here is what we learn about him. He's a deeply religious person, prayed for four months, day and night, and now he's in Jerusalem because the gracious hand of God is upon him. He is a man of integrity, even his enemies trust him with it. Nehemiah leaves his position in the palace, a safe place, and comes to Jerusalem, a place where his life could be threatened. And here is something which Nehemiah is teaching us. Any good work is typified or explained away by the sacrificial service that we are willing to put to it. To accomplish great things, sacrifice is involved. And Nehemiah, right at the start, is teaching us that. He is religious, he prays, the good hand of God is upon him. He is a man of integrity, his enemies admire him. And he is willing to sacrifice so that great things can be accomplished. 
In this context, take out your Bible, your sermon notes. Uh, if you can download the church app, that's a great way to, to follow the sermon. We are going to read the text this morning from Nehemiah chapter 5, verse number 1 to verse number 5. Please read this along with me. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though, though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Let me pause here for a moment. Before we dive into the sermon notes, let's pause here and let's consider how should we study the book of Nehemiah. When we study the Bible and we read stories in the Bible, we need to stop or we need to avoid interpreting them like we do it with our fairy tales. Let me illustrate that for you. If you have a bulletin with you, in the bulletin on the inside, when you open it, you find we talk about scripture, observation, application and prayer. So, you know, right in 1984 when I started reading the Bible, I started and it's called the SOAP principle. S for scripture, O for observation, A for application, P for prayer. Right from 1984 till now, I still followed this way of reading the scripture. It's, it's a good way. But having said this, we need to be careful that we don't start treating the scripture like we treat a fairy tale. Let me illustrate that for you. The scripture today is taken from Jack the Giant Killer. What does it teach us? Observation. The giants ought to be killed. If for no other reason they are giants. Application. The moral of the story. A lesson against pride. My prayer, Lord, please take pride away from me. Our scripture today is taken from Cinderella. Observation, the exaltation of the humble. Application and prayer. Sleeping beauty is our scripture this morning. Observation, how a person can be blessed with everything and yet be cursed with the kiss of death. Application, if we can find a savior, death itself can be softened to the effect of a sleep prayer. Jesus, will you be my savior? Our scripture today is taken from beauty and the beast. Observation, how you got to love somebody before they become lovable. Application, help me to love my mother-in-law. Prayer. <laughs> you see where I'm, where I'm going? This is how we will typically treat a, a story in the Bible. When we are reading the Bible, we need to remember, yes, it's got stories, it's got true stories. There are lessons, there are applications which we can apply in our life. But the Bible is also a divine book. So it's very easy for us to look at Nehemiah and talk about leadership lessons from Nehemiah, Nehemiah and delegation, Nehemiah and prayer, Nehemiah and worship, how to solve problems, how to face opposition. Nothing wrong with that. But we need to take a step deeper. 
we run the danger of forgetting something. While it is true that the Bible is a book with human stories, we should not forget that Bible is also a divine book. So when we read the Old Testament, and we are talking about Jerusalem, right? We are talking about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. It is not only what the book of Nehemiah is talking about Jerusalem, but we need to remember what the entire Bible is talking about Jerusalem. So yes, we will learn from Nehemiah, but, ne- but Jerusalem is also talked about in the New Testament. In fact, Jerusalem is called many things. It is called the tabernacle of God, the holy city, the city of God, the celestial city, the heavenly Jerusalem, literally heaven on earth. Jerusalem is referred in the Bible in many places. In the, in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 4, verse number 26. Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 13. The last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we get a fuller description in Revelation chapter 21. After the recreation, God reveals the new Jerusalem. Apostle John, in the, on the island of Patmos, he sees a glimpse, and it's recorded in Revelation chapter 21, verse number 2. The holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out from heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed up by their husband. This city that Abraham looked for in faith, Hebrews chapter 11 verse number 10. It is a place where God will dwell with his people forever. Revelations chapter 21 verse number 3. Inhabitants of the celestial city will have their tears wiped away. Revelations chapter 21 verse number 4. The new Jerusalem will be much bigger. How can I say that? Revelations chapter 21 verse number 15 to verse number 17. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measures the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia. 12,000 stadia is about 1,400 miles or about 2,200 kilometers. So it is 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and as high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurements. It's in the Bible. It was 144 cubits. That is about 200 feet or 65 meters. So the new Jerusalem will be 1400 miles long. And Revelation 21 verse number 3 says that it will reflect the glory of God. Its 12 foundations bearing the names of 12 apostles will be decorated with every kind of precious stones. Verse number 19. It has 12 gates. Each gate is made of a single pearl bearing the names of the 12 disciples of Israel. The street will be made of pure gold. This will be a place of unimaginable blessing. In the city will be the tree of life for the healing of the nations and the river of life. This is the place where Paul spoke of in Ephesians chapter 2 verse number 7 when he said, In the coming ages, God might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. So I request you, As you read and study the book of Nehemiah, try to curb your learning by looking not only at the moral of the stories in the book of Nehemiah, 
but studying it in a complete sense and going beyond lessons learned from individual stories. When we study the Bible, we need to remember that Bible is a divine book with one story from cover to cover. Bible is a divine story with one large story. And since the Bible has been written by God behind the human authors, we need to recognize what God is pointing us to along its path. The book of Nehemiah takes us to the end of the historical account in the Old Testament, about 400 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. This Nehemiah as a prototype is pointing us to the ultimate Nehemiah. This Nehemiah as a savior of the people in Jerusalem is pointing us to the ultimate savior of the people, Jesus Christ. This Nehemiah left his safety in the palace and came to Jerusalem compares with how Jesus is described in Philippians chapter 2 verse number 6 to verse number 8. Who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. When Nehemiah is praying for four months before he dares to do something amazing, later on it will remind us as we read Matthew chapter 26, where Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane, Lord, let not my will but yours be done. Before he does something amazing, he dies for our sin. In Nehemiah chapter 5 today, we will learn that we should not make personal gain, that we should sacrifice. And as we hear the sacrifice of Nehemiah as a prototype, we will be reminded of Jesus Christ who made the ultimate sacrifice by dying on the cross. So yes, we will read and learn from Nehemiah. But we also need to remember that the divine Bible right from the Old Testament is pointing us to Jesus. It is not only during the Christmas time where we quote a few scriptures and says Emmanuel in the Old Testament talks about Jesus. Every page in the Bible is pointing to us to the divine story, that single story, and is pointing us towards the Messiah. So the divine book... The Old Testament is pointing us to Jesus and as we repair our walls today, that's the application, as we repair our walls today, we will not become part of a physical city, but we will become part of God's celestial city, our eternal home. Everybody okay with that? A new way of looking at Nehemiah, right? With that as a background, ready to take down the notes, number one. The source of your opposition may surprise you. The source of your opposition may surprise you. Opposition and conflict is bound to happen in your life. In reading the Bible, one thing you do notice. Whenever you make a stand for God, there is bound to be opposition. Moses before Pharaoh, Nehemiah in Jerusalem, John the Baptist before the ruler of his day. Jesus the, the before Pilate, Paul in prison, John on the island of Patmos, and we can go on. We will face opposition at one time or the other in our life. And when we face opposition, it can manifest itself in discouragement and doubt and fear and despair, 
which is an incorrect response to opposition. Winston Churchill said it well. Kites rise highest against the wind, not with it. So if you have to rise like an eagle, and if you have to do the things of God, be ready for a wind coming against you. Do not resent challenges or opposition in your life. Viewing it as something that will test and challenge you is the right way to look at it. Oppositions will come in Nehemiah chapter 5 verse number 1. Men and women raised a great outcry. This is a serious leadership challenge as the outcry is against their fellow Jews. Now hold on. You said Amitabh that the gracious hand of God is upon Nehemiah. Then how can Nehemiah face opposition? Because opposition will come in our life. Nehemiah chapter 5 verse number 5. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Last week, Pastor Doug talked about Nehemiah facing opposition, external opposition. If you remember, he showed you the map and he said the external opposition is from all the way, from the north, south, east, west, from every direction there is an opposition. But that is not the only opposition which our civil engineer faces. In Nehemiah chapter 5, Nehemiah is now facing an internal conflict. Now please remember, failure is an event it is not a person. Failure is an event. As a human being called by God, you are not a failure. The price has been paid for. We have been set free. We will encounter events in our life which would be failure. But we who are called by God, who, who dare to be different, we are not a failure. Whatever God has put in your heart to do is not meant to fail. You will face challenges, you will face opposition, but write it down, I am not a failure. I will experience failure, but I am not a failure. You are not a failure because you are facing challenges. 1 Peter chapter number 4 verse number 12. If you don't believe me, at least trust what the Bible is saying. Beloved. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised by it. As God is calling us to rebuild the broken walls of our life, to be part of his celestial city, we need to stand firm in the face of opposition. Number two, take the time to find a creative solution. Take the time to find a creative solution. Nehemiah finds that the laborers are working hard on the wall. They have no time to plow their fields for food to feed themselves and their family. In Nehemiah chapter 5 verse number 3, some are mortgaging their fields and homes. Nehemiah chapter 5 verse number 5, some are having to sell their home, their own sons and daughters into debt slavery to have money to buy food. Now Nehemiah is an example of godly leadership. He could have told these people that he was too busy with the wall and to come back later. 
But he realized that this problem was significant. Nehemiah hears their pain. He understands what the people are going through. Now there are two ways to respond when we face a problem. Number one, there's a spiritual way. I pray but I do nothing. The second way to respond is the practical way. I do but I do not pray. The spiritual way, I pray but I do nothing. The practical way, I do but I do not pray. Nehemiah is a perfect example of leadership. He wraps it both together. He prays and he does. Nehemiah realizes that he needed to care for the needs of the people. These people were in need of a leader. As a leader, a leader at home, a leader with your children, a leader at your workplace, a leader with your friend. We need to remember that we are leading people and we are not leading projects. The problem being faced by the people is real. Whether it's at home, whether it's with my child, whether it's with my colleagues, whether it is in the workplace where I've been placed in a position of leadership, the people are facing real problems. It is not a rejection of the vision of what God has placed on your heart. But as leaders, we will have to listen to the cry of the people. We also need to realize that what we do as human beings, that what we do as leaders makes a difference. Now you're sitting there saying, I'm not a leader. Every one of us is. Somebody is looking up to you. You are a leader to that person. Now, how can we make a difference? Remember Luke chapter 19. Jesus has said few words to Zacchaeus. Upon hearing Jesus' words of forgiveness, Zacchaeus left his crooked tax collecting business and declared in verse number 8. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. That's verse number 8. A verse before that, in verse number 7, is the opposition which Jesus faced. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be a guest of a sinner. So if you feel that because you are doing God's work, or because the gracious hand of God is upon you, that people will like you, that is not true. But what you do as a leader, in spite of the opposition, whether external or internal, makes a difference. Nehemiah and Jesus also teach us how to respond when we find a person in distress. When a person is in trouble, when a person is in distress, they don't need words of rebuke and shame. Sin has penalties. But a good leader realizes that this does not mean that we should go around telling them that what they are facing is because they deserve it. That is not the time when you put some more salt to their wound. What people are desperately needing in this world, in this world, in this world are words of comfort and words of healing. And we as leaders can provide that. First Peter chapter 5 verse number 1 to verse number 3. Look at how beautifully a road map is given to us on how we should deal with people. To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's suffering. 
who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Nehemiah shows us that leaders must be above approach. They need to be examples to the flock. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse number 6, verse number 7. We are moving on. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my eye and my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them. Nehemiah here is displaying three amazing characteristics. Number one, Nehemiah was angry, but he pondered them in his mind. Another translation says it so beautifully. I turn the problems over in my mind, not responding immediately, thinking about it. Controlling your anger is a good first step. Being able to take a step back, pondering it over, over in my mind, to maintain your composure in the middle of an emotional situation is a wonderful way to tackle a situation. Here is one amazing thing that you learn from the life of Nehemiah. He realizes that angry, uncontrolled reactions do not lead to creative solutions. You have to love people before you lead them. And so a good rule to remember is, and you can write this down, do not engage with conflict when you are angry. I pondered them over in my mind. Number two, Nehemiah takes action. He brought charges against those exploiting the laborers. Silence when there is a problem would be equal to giving permission to keep on doing it. Silence is a decision. When something is wrong and you choose to ignore it, you have made a decision. As a leader, you have given it a silent permission. Nehemiah does not do that. Nehemiah understands the problem needs to be confronted and not ignored. Number three. Nehemiah calls a meeting of everyone involved and he as a leader, he's not embarrassed, he's not, not lacking in confidence to face the problem. Finding creative solution. Not ignoring it, not being silent about it, but addressing it. Number three. Wise actions inspire others to move forward. Wise actions inspire others to move forward. Simon Sinek. He's a British-American author and organizational consultant, and he has written a good book. Leaders eat last. Why some teams pull together and others don't. Leaders eat last. Why some teams pull together and others don't. Simon in his book says that the job of a leader is, set, is to set the tone and create the right environment. Trust and cooperation is essential for Nehemiah. However, trust and cooperation are not instructions. They are feelings. And every leader has to understand where trust and cooperation comes from. 
It doesn't come from a standard operating procedure, a training manual. Nehemiah chapter 5 verse number 16. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. What Nehemiah is saying is that he sacrificed. He set the tone. He did not make a personal gain. Nehemiah chapter 5. Moving on. Verse number 9 to verse number 12. So I continued. What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Let us stop making personal gain. Let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive grove and houses. And also the interest you are charging them. 1% of the money, grain, new wine and olive oil. We will give it back, he said, they said. And we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I, Nehemiah, summoned the priest and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. We find Nehemiah is taking three wise steps, three wise actions. One, Nehemiah lays out the problem and reminds them of the fear of God. He mentions that what you're doing is not right. Number two, Nehemiah lays down what needs to be done going forward, provides clarity for course correction. A leader has to do that. Number three, Nehemiah say, stays there until the problem is solved. Nehemiah as a leader understands that it is not charisma that is the essential component to leadership. You have to put your interest and gain aside by doing the right thing. Many of us don't lead because we don't want to make the tough choice. Nehemiah is presenting an opposite model of leadership from the leaders who heavily tax the people. Verse number 12, verse number 13, we read about how the Jewish people committed to changing their ways. Verse number 17 and verse number 18, we find that Nehemiah was generous and kind to the people. Good leadership is always a choice. Looking at the interest of those sitting to the left and the right of you is the kind of action that inspires others to move forward. Let me point you back to Christ. Jesus came to die on the cross. But do you remember what he did while he was here? One day, to the disciples' surprise and perhaps to their horror, Jesus showed what it meant to be a true leader. He took the towel and a basin of water and washed the disciples' feet. Simon Sinek puts it simply, leaders eat last. Now, please consider this viewpoint as you dare to be different. The chances are that what the Jerusalem walls meant to Nehemiah, our life means to God. There's a possibility that for some of us, we are living where the walls of our life is surrounded by ruin. It could be selfishness, lack of discipline, procrastination, immorality, no time for God, compromise or rebellion, which has caused us to be this way. We too are facing internal conflicts. A serious unseen conflict from within. Erosion is our constant battle. Little by little, bit by bit, 
Erosion is constantly taking us away from God. In Nehemiah chapter 1 verse number 1, it is mentioned Nehemiah as the son of Hekeliah. Hekeliah means Yahweh is dark. Nehemiah means Yahweh has comforted. What gave birth to these two names, I don't know. But it is marvelous to see Yahweh is dark. Yahweh has comforted as Nehemiah makes the decision to be different. He dares to be different. The people are provided with comfort and clarity to his people. What you do as a leader takes the people from darkness to comfort. Nehemiah chapter 1 starts with Nehemiah praying for four months. The book of Nehemiah, the last chapter and the last verse of the book of Nehemiah ends with Nehemiah crying out to God. Remember me with favor, O my God. As you seek the favor of God in your life, I will request you to consider what Jesus and his death on the cross is offering you today. God is providing you a better life, a life with purpose. While Nehemiah is pointing us to the ultimate Nehemiah, both Nehemiah and Jesus Christ are providing us a beautiful template for purposeful living. Let me apply this for you. Nehemiah left the safety of the palace. Jesus left heaven and came down to us. Likewise, we also have to move from the old to the new. Nehemiah prayed for four months. Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane. Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Likewise, we have to pray and find the purpose of God in our life. Nehemiah sacrificed and did not make personal gain. Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice by dying on the cross. Likewise, you and I will have to make sacrifice in our life. Nehemiah and Jesus both face opposition. So will we. So as you dare to live differently, number one, the source of your opposition will surprise you. Number two, take the time to find creative solution. Number three, let your wise action inspire others to move forward. As you dare to be different and live a purposeful life, may the gracious hand of God and His favor be upon your life. God bless you. Thanks for watching today. Be sure to check out our other messages on this page, and you can also watch us live online every Sunday morning at 1010 a.m. Don't forget, share your story or send us a prayer request by emailing info at porticocanada.ca. You can also stay connected by liking our Facebook page or following us on Twitter at PorticoCC.